Charlie and Susie Coker are the senior leaders of Identity Church in Deltona, Florida. They also are the founders of Charlie Coker Ministries. Charlie has a diverse background in business and relationship restoration. Susie has worked alongside of Charlie in the lighting business and Identity Church. They've been married for over 40 years and have two sons and five grandchildren. You will hear in part one of From Rape to Righteousness, the early years of both Susie and Charlie. We would love to hear from you what the Lord is doing in your life or have seen in others. Write us at stories at themillenniumbeat.com or call us and leave a voicemail at 407-624-9957. We at The Millennium Beat are looking forward to hearing what the Lord is doing in your life. Remember that The Millennium Beat is helping people share their stories. Welcome to the Millennium Beat Podcast, where we like to encourage the world one story at a time. Now get ready to hear stories from around the world that encourage and uplift you. Now to the show with your host, Kevin James. Well, hello, everybody. My name is Kevin James. I am the host of the Millennium Beat. I am sitting down with Charlie and Susie Coker, and we're going to talk a little bit about their life and where they were and where they are now. Uh, They just happened to celebrate their 40th anniversary. Well, congratulations on that. All right, Charlie, we're going to go back to your early days, like way, way, way back. Let's start off. Wow. Let's start off. Uh, you were born. Where were you born? Uh, and out of my mother's womb in the <laughs> hospital. <laughs> I was good. very young when I was born. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's interesting, you know, here we just celebrated our 40th anniversary. And, and one of the things coming up to this 40-year anniversary, Susie and I have just kind of looked at each other and went, can you believe it? I mean, I think more than anybody, we're shocked that we actually made it. And so when Kevin says, I want to interview interview, you and go all the way back to your childhood, I'm like, dude, we have some more current stuff you probably need to know. But uh, he wants to he wants to dig in on uh, how we developed to be who we are today. Right. Uh, Kevin, to answer your question, I am the youngest child of uh, parents that loved God, serving God. Um, I have three older sisters. I am the baby of the family, and I am the only male child. So I carry the name. I was also born on my mother's birthday. So if you don't think I was spoiled, special, and uh, definitely my mother's uh, favorite, um, that is part of my developing process. Um, It's interesting that, um, you know, when, when you look at, like, me and Susie are both. I mean, she's, she's the baby of her family. What, five sisters and brothers? Three uh, sisters and a brother. Okay, that would be five children, four sisters and brothers. And, and, and so we're both babies of the family. And uh, we had two children seven years apart. And if you look at the family therapist, they go, we have four babies in the fam- <laughs> same family. You, you guys shouldn't make it. Right. So, you know, it's, inter- it's interesting how you came up with that, you know, and you're going back to the basics on really when our molding processes mm. uh, came into effect. Um, mom and dad were, were extremely committed Christians. Like I said, though, I was, um, I was the baby. So, um, I was spoiled rotten. Um, but at the same time, I had a father who was a man's man. Uh, he fished, um, he was an outdoorsman. He is, his father died when he was 11. So my dad had to be a man early. And I think he lost some of his... Uh, teenage years, some of his developmental years, 
but he still was a man's man. Uh, I think if there's ever anything I remember about my father was that he was so angry with me because I didn't take football serious. And I come to find out he wanted to play football, but he had to go to work. His father had died, and there was nobody making money. And I realized he was trying to project. I, I look back now. Actually, I look back then, and I realized this was his dream, not mine. Right. I mean, I wasn't a big football player. I mean, I, I was a decent athlete, but uh, that, that was something that I remember. And so when you're asking the question going back to the childhood, you're trying to figure out why we, how we tick. And so that is one, one situation with my father that I realized early on. Um, I had a life-changing event. I had two life-changing events that I could remember and recall. Um, I was less than two years old. We were at my grandmother's house and Grandpa Girth. Now, Grandpa Girth was my grandmother's uh, husband after my, grand, my, my father's father died. And I fell in a ditch as a, as a little, like, two-year-old and almost drowned. And I can remember the trauma of that. That is probably one of my first memories. And my sister, my next to the oldest sister, Margaret, actually jumped in this. And it was a uh, next to a grove. We lived in, in, in um, Vero Beach, Florida. Uh, uh, this was actually in Wabasa. We lived in Vero Beach. We went to Wabasa to my grandmother's house. And um, it's just interesting here I'm, you know, I'm an adult. I can still drive by where that road is and remember um, that event, but uh, it was next to a grove, so it had that green slime and sludge on a little irrigation canal. And when I fell in it, I, I, I know I bobbled up, but I was, I couldn't see. I was had this green slime, and my sister Margaret jumped in and saved me. And I can remember that at, that episode and the trauma of that. And uh, and and it, I think it's something at that point. Margaret, not being the oldest, next to the oldest, actually became my protector. When you look at all of our family events and, and the things that happen as children, Margaret was my bigger brother. I, I didn't have brothers, so I had three older sisters. But Margaret was the tough one. Margaret would, uh, um, she would protect me. The bullies in the neighborhood, when they would beat me up, Margaret would go kick their butt. Uh, she, uh, she held one guy down uh, that was picking on me one day and just slapped him around and he stood on top, you know, sat on top of him, spit in his face. And I'm like, that's my sister. So we had a, we had a very physical family. Um, you know, you know, we're all born again, Christian, you know, uh, mom and dad, uh, leaders in, in the church. But the, the, the greatest catastrophic thing that happened to me is, is, is a molding situation is at seven years old. My mom had gone back to college. And, and when I really look at, at my childhood, what was the molding events of my childhood? My father was a tremendous worker. Um, he worked at the post office. Um, he had a stamp business. He made rubber stamps. And he would stay till 11, 12, 1 o'clock at night with orders that he had a clerk that would take the orders during the day. And he would make these rubber stamps. He worked at the post office. He would leave. He left at 3.30. This is interesting. He left at 3.30 from the post office and then would spray. He had a chemical company for chinch bugs and uh, pestilence. Him and a guy named Seymour, which was part of the church, he was actually a convict, I believe, that my dad went into business with. 
and bought a, a lawn spraying business. And from 3.30 till dark, he would spray lawns, come home, take a shower, and then go to the stamp business and make stamps for the orders of the day until whatever time, and then get up early and go back into the post office. So work was um, instilled in us as children. My father was, he was, but he was, he was also, he was driven by fear. And, uh, you know, I, I, here I am at my age going, oh, yeah, let, let me analyze my father. And uh, he was definitely driven by fear. Um, when Susie and I talk about our two sons, we have a 42-year-old and a 37-year-old. 36. Okay, maybe 37. I think 37. 37, yeah. Ah, see, I'm right. Hey, I want you all to understand, I just made something. I was correct. Nope, I was just corrected. I'm wrong. She was 36. And uh, <laughs> he's 35. They're seven years apart. Okay, there we go. Anyway, <laughs> we have two children. And... Uh, but but at the bottom line was because of my work ethic of my father, I was never afraid to work. You know, you find people who sit around a mully grub and I would always found it. I had paper routes. Uh, I knew how to make money. I, I, I mowed yards. I, so my, my upbringing was based around performance base. Now, you could say that's really good, and it is really good when, you know, when you're not starving and somebody people, other people are. It's because you're not lazy and you know how to work, and, and you know how to um, make things happen. See, but that came from my father. It came from my childhood. Um, actually, my first book that I wrote, uh, Church Fathers versus Kingdom Sons, uh, An Inheritance Worth Fighting For, that book was really about my dad and my relationship, which was extremely tainted by the devil um not on my father's part uh you know and you you look you look at the enemy and how he works two sides against the the middle um my dad my 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 dad was so um work ethic oriented my mom went back to school and and my developing processes as a young child I did not. I did not get what my sisters got, and that was a nurturing mother. My mom went back to school, and I lost that nurturing process. In that process, at seven years old, is where the catastrophe happened that damaged me. Um, my mom and dad were part of a, a church, and in that leadership was uh, a husband and wife that was part of the, the, the deacon board. And they had a 17-year-old son by the name of Sylvan Bishop. Um, in the summer when I was seven years old, mom was, was, was off of school, but she was still doing some schoolwork. And she sent me to the bishops um, to babysit me at seven. And in that environment, uh, the 17-year-old son, Sylvan Bishop, uh, raped me at knife point. Um, he, he, he sodomized me, he abused me, he put a knife to my throat, said he would kill me. Um, and that changed my life right there. The issue was I went to his mother and his father. His father had come home from, I think his father worked at Piper or one of the manufacturing plants, which we didn't have a lot, but, but his father came home and, and I told them. And they said they would get with my mom and dad and they would handle it. And 
here I am 33 years old and realized that they had never told my father. And so here I, I had this belief system that my father knew when he didn't know. And, um, and I have to tell you, that was the turning point of my relationship with my father. <laughs> my dad, my dad was a man's man. 240, 250 pounds, very little fat on him. I mean, a broad, broad shoulders, broad, big chested man coming down to a 30 inch waist. He was a man. I saw, um, I have pictures of him. One of my sisters, we, we saw some pictures of my dad. He had to be somewhere about 19, 20 years old. He was working for Deer, Deerfield Groves and he had two 100 pound sacks of fertilizer one on each shoulder. And there's a picture of him with his back holding these big surlites. And dude, this dude was ripped. And it had this big barrel chest that went down to a 30-inch waist. And and that was the picture he showed me as a young man, that he was angry because he couldn't play football. He had to go to work because he had to make money. He had to provide for my aunt and my grandmother and my uncle. Uh, he had he had a brother, um, and so um, all those developmental years, I thought my father knew what had happened with Sylvan Bishop, and so I personally had developed a system. It I can say today it became a demonic system of uh, disbelief and lies that my father perceived. I perceived him to be a man's man and a fighter. And I considered him a coward because I, I assumed he actually knew something that he didn't know. And, and it, it's really interesting. You know, you say, hey, what shaped and molded you as a child? I'm like, dude, you, that shaped and molded me. Um, because what happened is one, two, one or two things will happen when you go through a, uh, a violent uh, uh, abuse. Um, I'm going to say this now, and we'll probably talk about it later. Abusers, you know. Abusers abuse, and I was abused, and um, I made up my mind at a very young age I was going to be an angry man, and I had a facade um, that nobody was going to do that to me again, and I became a fighter, uh, an angry fighter, but I was this tender little boy. Here's the interesting dichotomy that I had was that my mom came back from college and took me to a psychologist, took me to some family counseling and they were trying to find out what the problem was because I was shutting down emotionally from that abuse. And God spoke to my mother and told her to rock me to sleep every night. And from somewhere about seven and a half years old to almost 12, when it was time to go to bed, my my mother would literally get in a rocking chair I would crawl on her lap, and she would rock me to sleep. She would pray over me. She would prophesy over me. She would tell me Bible stories, and she encouraged who I was. And that was my saving grace. But, you know, you grow up. You know, you're molded from those things. Um, we were we were not a wealthy family. We had to work for everything we had. We had some aunts and uncles, and I had some cousins and some, you know, relatives that their fathers were in business you got to understand something. Their fathers made the, the 
total commitment for business to become builders, uh, masons, and, and had crews and employees. My father played it safe and did post office with side businesses. Show up at 3.30, spray lawns, gets dark, go do rubber stamps. So he never committed to business. Now, that's a key. You know, you're asking what molded me and shaped me. That was a key. My father was functioning out of fear. He liked the security of the United States Post Office. Now, you could say that um, in the end, it worked out really well. I mean, he wound up with a retirement. He wound up with government. Uh, he, he didn't do too bad. He, he, he died a millionaire, trust me. But I had uncles that died multi, multi-millionaires because they made the decision to be in business. And I say that because I want to I jump a little history because when it was time for me to go in business, my father went to the bank and signed a note. He said this to me in the parking lot. You're young. You can do it now. I was too afraid to be in business. And he helped me get into business. And I've been in business. We've been in the lighting business. We had showrooms and uh, locations and employees. And we've, we've built our family around a family-owned business. But that was my father's um, dream that he never could do because he was full of fear and he couldn't make the jump with his responsibilities. So that shaped me and molded me, you know, you know, and then, you know, that kind of takes us up to that 12, 13 year old coming into, uh, uh, maturity and puberty. And, and I can tell you, you really want me to be serious in this? Mm-hmm. There was, a demonic spirit that came from the pit of hell. And I can give you, and I'm not going to go into detail, but I can give you three different scenarios where people, men with a homosexual spirit, attempted to have a relationship with me. And um, all three times, um, I stuck a 357 in one of them's face. Um, I told one of my bosses that I would kill this man with a hammer if he ever touched me again. Um, and I realized, and I realized that because of the damage in the wound that I had that had never been healed at knife point, that my sexual trigger had been turned on. And I had gone to Playboy magazines, masturbation, the whole nine yards. And I, I really believe that there is a fork in the road for me. I could have gone to the homosexual lifestyle because that spirit be, was attacking me and was looking for an open door. But because of a strong male figure of a father, that really was not an option for me. And that, that one factor, that father in the house, whether... I held some stuff against him, whether he was a jerk, whether he was tough, whatever. He was tough, but that factor kept me from the homosexual side. Now, it's not good that I went to the pornography, um, you know, uh, chasing women, uh, becoming dominant. Uh, no one tells me no. Uh, it's actually rebellion. I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually attempting to write another book right now. Yeah, God's given me the title. I've, I've, he gave me the title 20 years ago with this, 
when I dealt with some of my own rebellions because of my lifestyle, some of the childhood things you're asking me about, the title of the book is uh, uh, Jesus, the Man of Rebellion. It's a really in, in, interesting concept of how God uh, showed me how the spirit of rebellion came from the Father for Jesus to rebel against the system of his day. But if you don't know how to walk in love and know who you are, rebellion will kill you. But if you do know how to walk in love, rebellion will actually give you resurrection power. And so that that's just a little that's a little blurb, you know. That's good. Um, you know, we'll learn a little bit more about who you are and what you know. You know you're talking about your dad being a, a worker and diligent at working multi things and and you definitely have the the ability, but also well, you work the personality time, uh, is like that. I mean, not <laughs> that work out for you. Tried to you work, you work hard, <laughs> um, and you know. yeah. Oh. <laughs> okay, let me interview the interview here. <laughs> Try to work, you know. <laughs> it's like yeah. it's like it's right. Well, I was thinking about you know the the old saying about a motorhome or a boat. You know, the best two days of the life of a, a motorboat owner or a motorhome owner: <laughs> the day you buy it and the day you sell it. So, what's the best days of working for Charlie? The day you started and the day that I was done. But you know what? It's, it's funny. You know, we talk about our childhood and where we're at as adults, and you know, one of the one of the mind shaping jokes that I witnessed as a 12-year-old. My father, we were building a church. My father would take, he was off Mondays and Tuesdays. And during that construction site, he went to the church and worked. So when I got out of school, he picked me up and we went back to the church and worked. And we were working, a guy named Bud Gurney. He was a, a wealthy man, lived in the moorings, uh, exclusive community. And we were all working. There was seven or eight people working. My dad was running this section of this construction site, and J.B. Walker was there, and Uncle this and Uncle that. I mean, it was a big church family thing. And my dad was shouting orders. My dad was like, get this done and get this done. And Bud Gurney, the wealthiest man in our community, the wealthiest man in our church, looked at my dad with disgust, and he says, C.L. Coker, Rome wasn't built in a day. And I'll never, I'm 12 years old watching this confrontation. My dad looked at him and he goes, Bud Gurney, I wasn't foreman on that job. And, and I, have, I have told that story a thousand times, but something impacted me that day about hard work. Rome wasn't built today. I wasn't foreman on that job. Right. Yes, I was going to say, I have, that molded me. And, you know, some of the things is our childhood uh, mold us. And I think that we have to filter through that molding. Was it good? Was it bad? And I think my father's work ethic, some of it was not, uh, 10% of it was driven by fear. Okay. And any percent of fear needs to be dealt with so that when you work, it works, it works out of the anointing of God and not fear. Well, and what I'm hearing is the word fear was a foundation. It was not the right foundation for you to build it on. So, all right. So that is pretty much your younger years. So let's move over to your <laughs> wife, Susie. Now she gets to finally talk for a few minutes. <laughs> She's been um, patiently listening and throwing a few words in here and there. Susie, let's go back to okay. your early days where you were born and your early okay. childhood. Well, how you were Charlie's the storyteller in the family, so I don't, I don't have all the, yeah, yeah. Oh, I know that. I, That's okay. <laughs> I don't, don't have, have to be a Charlie. You're a Susie Coker. Not- I make fun of him, so. 
That's no, right. I forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, you know, the thing that you've been married for 40 years and you're still sitting across from each other and talking is what, a good thing. What was that book, The uh, Five Love Languages? Yeah, The Five Love Languages. Susie and I added the sixth love, love language. It's called Harassing Humor. Harassing Humor. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh. Yes. Harassment. Humor goes a long way in our marriage. Yes. Yeah, I heard you <laughs> say that a few times at church. Anyway, um, like Charlie, I was born in Vero Beach, Florida. I was the youngest of five children. And um, my parents stayed married, you know, the whole whole time until, you know, one of them died. Um, I had a good childhood. Um, didn't kind of... Seeing from where Charlie comes from, it seems like they had a lot of... They were the oh, rich people compared no, to us. No, we weren't. <laughs> anyway, I had a good childhood. Um, you know, we didn't have all the things going on, like, you know, what Charlie speaks about and all the hoopla going on. My father was more of a quiet man. Um, he didn't ever really want to spank us because he was afraid he would hurt us, especially as girls. He wouldn't. So my mom was more of the disciplinarian. Um, but we grew up going to church. Um, you know, my mom was my Sunday school teacher for most of my younger years. When I was about nine years old, that's when all the tent revivals were going on. And um, I went with my mom a lot to those tent revivals. I would you know, go on school nights, and when it got late, I'd throw a blanket down on the dirt floor and go to sleep for the night. So I did a lot of things with my mom, and being the youngest, like when they had a um, a uh, a prayer line, you know, like they had a little building that, and she would take her time, you know, and go and stay at the little building and you know, take phone calls from people. I would always go with her there. And, you know, so being the youngest, I did a lot of things with her and grew up that uh, we would have like a pal day that we could go around and, you know, be, you know, mom with her youngest daughter. And so I have a lot of uh, good memories. We had our little sibling rivalry, you know, um, but yeah, I had a, I had a good childhood. No. You said you were the youngest. Were you closer, close to any of your other siblings? Um, well, yeah, I shared a, a bedroom with my sister, you know, and I was, I was, I mean, I was close with her if I was afraid and, you know, be able to, you know, sleep with her, I'm afraid. And Now, how, from you, okay, I, I'm looking at like my family. I always say I am an only child of five because there was my sister, my brother, my sister, my brother. Yeah, long six years later, it was me. So I'm actually closest to my oldest sister, which actually became like my mother, which I have to call on Sundays and stuff like that. If I don't, she'll call me. And but was there anybody in your family that you bonded with more than one over the other? Um, I think for, um, I think sometimes maybe the different personalities for different things. You know, we're probably both pretty. The next child after me, um, well, before me, was um, my sister Marilyn, and she's 60, 61. And then, yeah, and then, uh, do what? She's four years older than you. No. Three. Two. 
Oh my God, Charlie, you're, she's you're older than she's I. She's your age. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. The truth is revealed. Wow. You heard it here first. <laughs> he he knows he's married a younger woman. He just thinks I'm younger than. <laughs> I've, I've hidden my age well. <laughs> I'm speaking faith, baby. <laughs> With this quarantine going on, though, <laughs> you'll find out my real age. <laughs> but anyway, um, no, and then my next sister after that, they were, uh, I believe, 14 months apart. And then a couple years after that, I have another sister and then um, my brother. My brother was, um, wasn't too ever too close to him because it was such a, you know, wide age age gap yeah i th i think the only reason why my family is that i'm close to my oldest sister it used to drive her crazy because i was in this 12 years between us so when she was like 12 i was just born so what does the oldest child usually end up having to do take care of their youngest siblings so she had to push me around in the cart and stuff like that and uh and and then the people would come up oh he's adorable is that yours no it's my brother <laughs> it used to take her off because I am not her kid, I'm her little brother. But this 12 years about You know, you find out, you found out my oldest sister, Becky, she went to a therapist one time and found out that she hated me. Because when mom got pregnant with me, dad told her that she was going to have to do more work. And so she finds out from a therapist, she never liked me. And I'm like, I, I can tell you that. We didn't need a therapist. <laughs> Trust is revealed. But, um, so, okay, so you had, you know, you didn't have a distant relationship, but you didn't have... You know, some sisters hang out together, they bond, and they, they do everything. They can. Right. I think my the two sisters closest to me, they kind of more, I think, maybe hung out together, you know. I think, it, I, don't, I mean, we had fun as a family. You know, my brother was the one who, he would make all these crazy inventions and have us kids, you know, his sisters try them out, which they were so dangerous, <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, we had, you know, fun run neighborhood and things like that. Right. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I had, a, I had a good, simple, simple, you know, like the leave it to beaver kind of, you know. Just, okay. Yeah. Just a t it seems like just the total opposite. Now, the thing that you did have going for you and us all together, we're all the baby of the family. Yeah. Now, Charlie, would you consider yourself spoiled from your parents? I was spoiled by my mother. Um, right. My father took it upon himself to make me a man's man. So that's where our clash was. And then when I was abused at seven, I never trusted him. Right. So. Is it you never trusted your father or you never trusted men? Um, yes. Started with my father and it went to men. Uh, I mean, if you look at my molded years prophetically as a young adult as a young christian it's interesting that the prophetic prophetesses would call me out at major meetings and i received some of my most foundational prophecies from women not men and so i think that was god knowing that i would receive it from a woman right i didn't trust men right oh i wouldn't either i mean a knife point raped in a sense you know molested yeah one one thing in growing up i did um definitely get from my mother is my faith i mean many times growing up you know um 
my mom had ordered a new roof to be put on the house and it was getting ready to be delivered and she didn't have the money but she just knew that yeah she just believed god that god said it'd be there and here it's getting ready to be delivered and my dad comes home it was friday he always brought his cash his paycheck brought his paycheck home to her right and so she's like so where's the money he's like what are you talking about he hands over he gotten a bonus and it was enough to cover, to cover the, the new roof. roof on the house yep and wow. i mean just story after story of that tell, susie tell the story where your dad told her that she was giving too much money to the church and tithing. Oh, yeah, she this did. This is a great story. Yeah, he told her, you're giving too much money to the church. So she was being obedient, and right. she quit tithing. And told him, okay. There were things that broke in the house. I mean, just crazy things that broke. The toilet, um, <laughs> the picture that fell. A picture that was above the toilet for years. Right. It, like, came off the wall, broke the toilet tank. <laughs> you know, just crazy things like that. Washer washing machine breaking right and he finally told her it's like oh you can start tithing again <laughs> you know <laughs> you know those are the things you never forget yeah. <laughs> and then it's i mean my my dad was a christian you know but it's like when we me and my mom my sister started going to the tent revivals and my dad didn't go, but he would be at work. He worked construction. Right. This is fun. And he would hear them talking about the other people in the job talking about these crazy people in the tent revivals of how the women were taking their bras and waving their bras around. You know, what it was, it was the, the hankies, the white right. hankies, you know. <laughs> or construction workers they, were telling or they were smoking, that the women were taking their bra off. Or they were smoking pot. You know, what it was, we, we they used to have those picks. They were uh, for mosquitoes. Okay. They were like these round, uh -huh. they would burn in a circle. Right. And that's what they were seeing. You know, but anyway, my dad would hear all these stories and he didn't dare say, you know, right. oh yeah, my wife and kids go down there. <laughs> <laughs> but we had even from going there and uh, we had family members that quit talking to us and, you know, but I mean, I, I grew up and had great faith from her. So that was, well, yeah, cool. that was awesome. Yep. That's good. You've been listening to the Millennium Beat with your host, Kevin James. I've been sitting down with Charlie and Susie Coker talking about their early part of their lives. We'll pick up next week from their teenager years and on. You'll hear things such as Susie getting pregnant at an early age of 15 and Charlie not even accepting the fact that it was his child. So tune in next week to hear more of Charlie and Susie Coker's story from Rape to Righteousness Part 2. Thanks for tuning in today to the Millennium Beat Podcast. I hope you heard something that was encouraging to you. We'd like to hear from you with your story, so write us at stories at themillenniumbeat.com or give us a call at 407-624-9957 and leave us a voicemail. You may also find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and we have a YouTube channel. Please like us and share us with your friends. You may also go to our website at themillenniumbeat.com and you'll find our podcast and our YouTube video. You also may find a calendar there with past and future guests in dates and times. Plus, another way for you to contact us with your stories or questions. This has been a Millennium Beat LLC production, copyright 2020. Views and opinions of the guests are not always the views and opinions of the Millennium Beat LLC. 
You've been listening to The Millennium Beat with your host, Kevin James. I'm going to give you a little snippet of a show called Family Matters with your host, Paul Kendall. If you want to hear more shows like that, go to KendallFamilyNetwork.com. Once again, I'd like to thank Paul Kendall for the use of his show. Welcome to Family Matters, a daily look inside the real world of parents and their children. I'm your host, Paul Kendall. A good work ethic is more valuable than gold. But take a look around our society and you'll see many people who have little to no work ethic at all. The Bible is very clear concerning this. It says in 2 Thessalonians 3.10 that if a man doesn't work, neither should he eat. When I was a boy, Saturdays always started with cleaning the house and I had to vacuum. Oh, how I hated to vacuum. I remember the day that I discovered that some of my friends actually got paid for doing chores. They called it an allowance. Come to find out, my father was well aware of allowances. I also found out that I wouldn't be getting that sudden windfall of cash I had expected. You see, my father had this incredibly distorted philosophy that each member of the family should contribute to our home. But what about washing dishes, Dad? Isn't that worth a few bucks every week? Well, added to his philosophy of contribution was a theory that washing dishes was teaching me something called a good work ethic. Now, I didn't even know what the word ethic meant. All I knew was I wasn't going to get paid for doing the dishes anytime soon. Now, in all fairness to my father, I must say that he was very good to me and was quick to give me spending money in my teenage years. He even bought me my first car. But he insisted on teaching me family values and a good work ethic. Now, I have two children of my own. And every time they've brought up the subject of an allowance, they've had to endure a long, arduous story of my vacuuming, dishwashing, and they're about as excited to hear my story as I was when my father told me why I wouldn't be getting an allowance. The lawn has been the object of teaching my son a work ethic, and cleaning the kitchen works the same for my daughter. Now, before you think I'm just a mean dad, I must tell you that I not only get in there and help my daughter wash the dishes, I also help my son push that dreadful mower all around the yard. I can remember him complaining how difficult it was to mow the swell where the grass was especially thick. I can't push the mower through there, Daddy, he would say, and I would tell him, growl at it. Bite it. Tell that mower who's the boss. You know, I can also remember the day that Alex conquered mowing the yard. And are you ready for this? These days, he actually gets paid for it. Opinions of allowances aside, I know you want your children to grow up with good work ethics. So devise your own plan to teach them a good work ethic. And most importantly, be involved with them in the process. One day, they will thank you for it. I'm glad that I was taught a good work ethic because every Saturday morning, guess what my wife wants me to do? You got it. Vacuum. That's Family Matters. I'm Paul Kendall.